0: I always get that feeling when people actually come to erect a grave memorial on their loved ones. It's the the final act, really. It's the last thing that they can
1: actually do for these people. My name is Dennis Foley, and I attended the first uh, Parnell Summer School in 1991. I promised the Parnell Society that I'd take a picture of Fanny Parnell's gravestone and send it back to them. After that, I came back home here and came to the cemetery and discovered that Fanny Parnell had no gravestone of any sort. I went to the uh, main office here and they had no idea who she was. They did, of course, look her up in their records. And I came to the Tudor family vault here and, and discovered that she, she had no, she, that she was in the vault without any kind of stone. So uh, I brought that to the attention of Maura Tobin, the secretary of the society. and uh, She took the ball from there and ran with it. And I never thought it would really happen and I'm I'm standing here in shock.
2: I'm interested because she was a woman who was written out of history, forgotten about. In her time, was one of the leading political lights of the day. She gave great leadership in the Ladies' Land League and she was um, somebody who should be remembered and when you have a very famous brother who gets all the kudos and all the highlights... Um, maybe his sisters who worked equally hard and did an awful lot in their day get forgotten about She seems to me to be a highly
3: romantic figure not because of any liaisons of the heart that we know about but because of her dedication, her idealism and her early death but she obviously was,
4: like a lot of people who die young, I think a great symbol for hope If you're going to write a biography you have to like the, the people you're writing about otherwise you spend years with them it would be dreadful to be like a bad marriage <laughs> and uh, I, yes I was attracted to, uh, to her right from the beginning In
5: Avondale's oasis first you saw the light of day While cruel years of famine ringed the trees round which you played While many had chosen to ignore you came to understand The grief and lamentation of your famine stricken land
4: Fanny was brought up on the estate of her father, John Henry Parnell at Avondale, and his American wife, Delia Tudor Stewart. Um, a very idyllic childhood. She and her sister Anna both loved country life and were very unhappy when their mother decided to move them to Dublin after the death of their father. Anna was then seven, and Fanny was about uh, 11 or 12. Uh, Fanny was always a very lively child and grew into a lively young woman, and she formed, like all children in a large family, alliances within the family. And since she was just two years younger than her brother Charles Stewart Parnell, they were very good and close allies as children. As they grew older, uh, of course, he went away to school, and Fanny, like other girls of her time, studied with a governess, Uh, Then she became closer to her sister, Anna, who was four years younger. Their father grew up under the influence of uh, Lady Powerscourt, who was a member of the Plymouth Brethren, therefore a very austere, uh, very loving and kindly woman, apparently, but lived an austere life, as John uh, Henry Parnell did, so that they did not live a very uh, glamorous life at Avondale. They did not go in for very elaborate clothing. Neither sister ever cared for uh, beautiful dresses or jewelry or that sort of thing. Uh, Food was something that they consumed out of necessity. This was very much a part of the pattern of this very austere background.
2: Many of the visitors who come to Avondale when they walk into the hall, they say, oh, imagine growing up here and the wealth of living somewhere like this. But you have to bear in mind the times they lived in. And I do believe that the house wouldn't have had the order or maybe the beauty even attached to it today uh, because the mother, Delia, was absent from the house so often. And uh, the children, I think, fended for themselves with servants quite a good deal. Fanny, of course, trying to make her own way and uh, she got involved in her poetry and was a very strong-willed young woman.
0: It's a a bowler that has been on the grounds of Avondale down the centuries, and I'm sure possibly the members of the family, as children, probably played on it or around it.
6: How would you get it over? And I give them the very practical thing that, that we'll all take a hammer and we'll break it into 40 or 50 bits and bring a, you know, a tube of Evo stick and everybody will bring a lump in their case and we'll have great fun reassembling it.
4: After the death of their father, however, uh, when they became uh, wards of their much lighter-hearted mother, American mother, and moved on to the city, life became quite different. Then they enjoyed all the sort of intellectual freedom that they probably could not have enjoyed under their father's uh, guardianship. He would have insisted on very um, very traditional and conventional ladylike behavior. Uh, their mother wanted them to grow up to be young ladies, of course, and make very good marriages, but she more or less let them go their own way. And uh, Fanny's way was a very... She was interested in literature. Uh, she spoke very good French and um, loved poetry, wrote a lot of poetry, which was began to be published, uh, in Fenian-type poetry when she was only 16. And uh, so she and her sister, younger sister Anna, uh, grew in a different way from all her other sisters who were more conventional and married... Very unhappily, those who married, very badly, despite the efforts of their mother. Fanny lived in Paris from the age of 21 to 26. Her mother took the girls, the three younger girls, they had a younger sister, Theodosia, to live with their American uncle, that is their mother's brother who had made a very nice fortune, and uh, he had a very uh, grand apartment on the Champs-Élysées, and their American mother, Delia, was very, very happy there. She really came into what she thought was her own. She entertained lavishly and had all sorts of wonderful evenings, and, of course, she hoped that she would marry her daughters into the French aristocracy, having failed to do the same with her daughters into the English or Irish Fanny joined with a very good spirit into what her mother wanted, that is, she became a very fashionable young lady about town and uh, was mentioned in the social pages of the American Register, which was a newspaper for the American colony. Um, However, uh, while she was uh, externally, from all appearances, enjoying this life, she was at the same time observing it with a very canny and uh, discerning and perhaps very disapproving eye. She saw the American colony in Paris as really a marriage market where rich Americans came uh, looking for, well, a pleasant life and also for rich uh, aristocratic husbands for their daughters. They would exchange an American fortune for the aristocratic title. Fanny, according to her mother, could have married a French duke. That would have been the acme of uh, Delia's hopes. But Fanny was not interested in a French duke. And, in fact, she was not interested, it seems, in marrying under those circumstances. So she wrote a lot of uh, several very interesting and critical articles in the American Register uh, criticizing the marriage market and the way young girls were sort of held up or, for the hu- auction to the highest bidder. But unfortunately, this wonderful life came to an end when <clears throat> the uncle was, seemed to be a bit of a hypochondriac uh, went to Rome to avoid, I think there was a typhus epidemic raging or beginning in Paris, and he went off to Rome to avoid it and died there of the same illness. So that was the end of that, and uh, unfortunately as well, his great fortune, with which he was supposed to support and uh, endow the girls, Fanny and her sisters, disappeared in the terrible depression that started in 1873. It was Black Friday in 1869, and that's when most of his money went. By 1873, there was very little left, so they returned to Delia's father's estate in the United States. Elia had no notion of money or economy. Her idea of money was to try and speculate and make more of it, but all she did was lose it. So Fanny ran her mother's estate, and that was a full-time job. Uh, It was a sizable estate at that time. There were farms to be looked after, and uh, both she and uh, her sister Anna. uh, It's hard to explain, except that in, in her sister Anna's memoir, The Tale of a Great Sham she says that the mem- memories of the famine were so vivid as they were growing up as children that they felt they had lived through it themselves and had experienced the the sufferings of the people. And I think they just grew up with this feeling of terrific empathy with the te- tenant farmers, and it was a natural progression that they should be interested both in Irish Uh, independence, home rule, and also um, the land reform.
0: It's a very unique idea to uh, pick a piece of stone from somebody's birthplace and actually put their epitaph or inscription on it and uh, ship it across, erect it in a cemetery in America.
6: The natural rock in, in Avondale is not really conducive to carving. It's, it's mica schist, fragments very easy. So, a rock that was in Avondale had to be gotten. That's why it's a granite erratic. It'll endure and it's workable in that.
7: Her personality, cradled in Fenian Ireland, finally came to blossom among the exiles and expatriates in America during the stirring times of the land agitation presided over by her brother. Whenever he was attacked in American newspapers, she rushed to his defence. When he established the Famine Relief Fund, she threw herself into its organisation, devoting at least ten hours a day to the work. In
4: 1880, uh, Charles Stuart Parnell and John Devoy went to the United States to raise money for the new Land League. Fairly soon after they'd arrived, they realized that the near famine in Ireland was really very serious. So instead of collecting money only for the Land League, they began to collect it for what they called famine relief. Uh, Fanny was then in the United States, and she came to greet Charles when he arrived in New York and from then on followed his progress, the success he was having throughout the country, followed it with great interest. And on the eve of his departure for uh, Ireland, she decided that they should continue to raise funds for the la- the Land League, but why wouldn't the women do it this time? Because she, well, first of all, American women were more accustomed to taking a public role when it came to raising funds. They had raised a lot of money during the Civil War. And Fanny herself had worked in the American ambulance in Paris, and so she knew the role that women could play and how efficient and effective they were as fundraisers. So she decided to found the Ladies' Land League, which she did. And before Davitt, who stayed after uh, Charles Stuart Parnell had gone back to Ireland... On the eve of David's departure for Ireland, the American Ladies' Land League was able to present him with a cheque of, I believe, $3,000, which was a huge sum at the time. And David, of course, seeing how effective these ladies were, when he returned to Ireland, thought, what a good idea, why don't we have a Ladies' Land League in Ireland? So it was Fanny's idea from the beginning to found a Ladies' Land League. And although originally it was strictly a fundraising organization, it, of course, soon became quite political. Fanny was very, very much involved. She was not a happy public speaker, although when she was required to speak in public, she did, of course, very well. Um, but she, what she really did was very well was organization, and she, was, um, she had a huge organizational business, uh, really, to manage from Bordentown. She wrote letters all over North America... Uh, was constantly in touch with her sister, Anna, of course, who was then involved in the Ladies' Land League in Ireland. All throughout the wandering years You kept in sight your
5: quest You never ceased to plead the cause Of the starving, the dispossessed And your Land League ladies followed you And you made your voices heard As you fought against injustice With your actions and your words Avondale, your spirit sings its song From where you gathered roses You learned to see beyond And you settled not for slavery And you never would be sold You sang a song for all to hear You never
4: did grow old And you never did grow old They were such exceptional women. they way they could stand apart from their own lives and view what was going on around them and decide, as a matter of principle, what they approved of, and then follow that right through to the end. Uh, For instance, their empathy with the tenant farmers, uh, that was very unusual for young women of their class. They were after all of the Anglo-Irish ascendancy and could have led the usual, uh, slightly frivolous life of uh, young ladies in society, but it was something that never interested them. The way they took up political life, because what they did was really very political, with uh, total confidence in their right to do so, that was just so extraordinary. Perhaps more so even for Anna in Ireland, because at the time, of course, uh, the church frowned on any sort of public appearance of of women in any kind of a, a political sphere. But also for Fanny in the United States, I think she was among the few women who who stepped out and took on a role for which she had not really been brought up, no young women had, Uh, but she did it as a matter of right and as a matter of duty.
7: Her work rate was frenetic, and those Clannagale bosses who felt that the land agitation was diverting people away from pure physical force republicanism correctly pinpointed Miss Fanny, as they called her, as the leader of those who had defeated their attempts to control Parnell's mission for their own ends. Her patriotism has never been in question. Her poetry, though not devoid of literary merit, was never intended to be a contender for the Nobel Prize. It was meant to be and was effective propaganda. Her pioneering feminism can be more easily discerned from the present standpoint in history. And what her sister Anna foretold has indeed come to pass. Perhaps, said Anna, when we are dead and gone, and another generation grown up, they will point to us as having set a noble example to all the women of Ireland.
8: The awe has struck. Fate holds the dice we stand with bated breath now who shall have the harvest fair, tis life that plays with death, now who shall have our motherland tis right that plays with might the peasants arms were weak indeed in such unequal fight, O pallid serfs whose groans and prayers have wearied heaven full long. Look up, there is a law above, beyond all legal wrong. Rise up, the answer to your prayers shall come, tornado born. And ye shall hold your homesteads dear, and ye shall reap the corn. God only fights for those who fight. Now hush the useless moan and set your faces as a flint and swear to hold your own.
0: This particular piece has its natural shape. I suppose you could say sculpted by nature, really. What I am doing is just putting the inscription on this piece of sculpted stone that's already there. The most common stone for carving would be probably Italian marble. Now, Wicklow would be different ball game, as you'd say, altogether, because it would be extremely hard, very tough, rugged stone for it to get to depth and for it to be visible with nice distinction. Um, We had to approach it with hammer and chisel, traditional methods.
9: You could say, the general public could look and say they're all mad. Maybe we are all mad, but then, like, what is the definition of normality? That to be deemed to be normal by the majority. So maybe we're mad and we all don't know it, but uh, I think it's it's just symbolic and it's nice and... and, uh, it's, uh, it's rewarding to, to achieve something as a group.
4: Fanny died very suddenly. She'd gone out for a walk with her dogs and had come home and gone up to rest. And when her mother went to call her uh, some time later, she found that she, had, she was dead. And um, I think it was malaria. It was endemic in the at that time in that area there was a lot of swampy ground and it was a very serious illness it is still today of course and she might as well have suffered I believe her her brother Charles had rheumatic fever at one time as a child and Fanny most likely did too which would have weakened her heart and uh, the stress of crises that come on with with malaria would have been enough of course to cause her heart just to cease from that moment on, it was as though a head of state had died. I mean, the, it was a tremendous uh, outpouring of grief and, and interest, too, and newspapers all over the eastern uh, seaboard, Canadian and American, were filled with this news that the, that uh, Fanny Parnell, for herself, uh, for what she had done and the fact that she was the sister of the Irish leader, um, there was tremendous interest, and, and the immediately... Uh, there was talk about sending the body back to Ireland.
10: Death of Fanny Parnell. As briefly announced in a portion of last week's edition of The Register, Miss Fanny Parnell died at the family residence known as Ironsides near this city on Thursday afternoon, July 20th, 1882. The evening before, she was in this city, taking her accustomed walk out Crosswick Street, accompanied by her faithful dogs... A brown setter and a black-and-white St. Bernard. Thursday morning she drove to town, got her mails as usual, returning home about noon. After dinner she fed her dogs and went to her room about 2 p.m. Half an hour later her mother had occasion to go to Miss Fanny's room and soon discovered that her daughter was insensible, if not dead. Calling a servant they could discover no trace of life and at once sent for Dr. Longstreet. Notwithstanding her worst fears, the mother supposed that Miss Fanny was visited by one of the trances which sometimes happened to her. The doctor's examination, however, settled the matter. She was dead beyond all doubt, and the body was becoming rigid. At five o'clock, the sad news was dispatched to Honourable Charles Stuart Parnell, London, Miss Anna Parnell, Dublin, John Parnell, Alabama, and to the different members of the family in various parts of the world. From Thursday evening until the day of the funeral, the Western Union telegraph operator was kept on a constant strain, receiving from and sending dispatches to the numerous members of the family, to the press and to the countless land leagues. On a table near the bed on which Miss Parnell died was a letter addressed to Mr John Parnell. It was written shortly before her death and contained a complete reckoning of her financial standing for her brother's perusal. Members of the family believed that Miss Parnell drew up this statement in the belief that her end was drawing nigh. Dr. Longstreet certified that paralysis of the heart was the cause of her death.
4: I don't put any uh, credence in the the idea of suicide, that Fanny would have uh, committed suicide. It's just totally out of character. She might well have felt ill enough to suspect that she might not have long to live. Um, After all, early death was not all that unusual then. I mean, people of her age were dying all over the place from from various illnesses before the discovery of antibiotics.
10: Miss Parnell's sudden death caused a feeling of profound sorrow among the people of this city. She was a liberal patron of the various stores and very friendly and agreeable toward all whom she met. She superintended the extensive farm, transacted considerable business in New York, wrote extensively for the papers and magazines, organized and addressed land leagues, attended personally to a large correspondence, and in her few leisure hours found time to give garden parties to children, look after pet animals, etc. She had a pale intellectual face which changed but little in death. Her height was 5 feet 9 inches, and her mode of dressing made her appear thinner than she really was. Always self-possessed, Methodical in her actions, pleasant in her manner, and very charitable, she had the popular heart with her.
4: Both Charles and Anna wanted Fanny to be buried where she died, in Bordentown. Neither he nor Anna would w- approved of moving a body from where it had died. It was part of their very austere upbringing, uh, because there was, you know, they, they just made a fuss about nothing. <laughs> That was an incredible thing about them. They, everything went by, the great events of life, without any sort of fuss, no, no manifestations being made. This finally, Delia gave in to the earnest uh, requests of the Irish uh, community in the United States to have Fanny buried with great uh, ceremony in Boston. In the, well, after it was learned that Charles would not allow the body to be returned to Ireland... She would be buried in the vault of her Tudor family. Her mother uh, was from a very famous and prestigious American family called the Tudors. And so the body had to be taken, of course, in, in procession to Boston from Bordentown. And after it was put on a train in Trenton, and it was a very slow process, and as each town it's the, the train went through it would go very slowly and crowds came out and at night there were torches holding torches and irish flags and people wearing armbands it was really quite an amazing uh, an amazing occasion an amazing outpouring uh, for really what was a, a, had been a retiring young irish lady who suddenly sprang onto the political uh, scene in the united states uh, it took over a month, I believe it might have been six weeks, because they stopped occasionally and went open the casket for viewing many times along the processional route. And when they finally got to Boston, the casket was taken to the home of Mrs. Fenno Tudor, who was a great aunt of Fanny's. And an embalmer uh, who had accompanied the body all along came to the house and did a bit more work. And then the coffin was once more opened, and people filed by, and all agreed that she looked as though she was fast asleep. So if you can imagine the reaction of Charles Stuart Parnell back in Ireland reading this with his very austere background and feelings, he and Anna, of course, were appalled, but that's the way it that's the way it occurred. Uh, The body was then taken again in procession across Boston over the Charles River to Mount Auburn Cemetery and buried in the Tudor vault.
11: In the 19th century, we see families that often would extend the courtesy of a burial in their family tomb for uh, someone who died and perhaps didn't have another alternatively readily available. And in this case, of course, if Fanny Parnells would have been moved from Mount Auburn, it would have been a fairly easy thing to have done. But in the 19th century, it wasn't uncommon for families to place people in tombs and then move them years later, together their family together. Nowadays, in our times, we think that's fairly unusual, but in the 19th century, it really was a lot more common.
12: There is no doubt that the Irish nationalist movement grasped early the, the propaganda value of the dead and uh, mastered the art of the, the funeral as a political demonstration. And, I mean, there are numerous examples of that. I mean, while as a political weapon, the, 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 the political funeral uh, is a very powerful weapon, I think there is a lack of dignity from the point of view of the, the, the individual family. And given the closeness of Charles uh, to Fanny Parnell, uh, I'm not at all surprised that he took the view that he would prefer to see her rest in Boston than brought back uh, and made the subject of a political demonstration. Then, in the case of Charles Shirt Parnell, ironically, when he died, uh, that contest was. Uh, won by the nationalist movement. His colleagues insisted that he be buried in Glasnevin Cemetery, not in Mount Jerome, the family cemetery, and not in in, uh, England. Uh, And his colleagues said that uh, his body belonged not so much to the family, but to Ireland. And Anna Parnell very famously responded that his body belonged to Ireland only insofar as Ireland had killed him. Um, Perhaps that was... a uh, rather a spur-of-the-moment comment, but it does reflect the uh, bitterness that arises uh, at a, a very emotional time.
4: Anna was so shattered by Fanny's death, who she, of course, Fanny was her greatest ally, and at that time the Ladies' Land League had come to a very sad end in Ireland, <coughs> the ladies, Irish Ladies' Land League. Anna felt that she had been betrayed by the Men's League and particularly by her brother, So with the two coming together, she tried to commit suicide. And um, the details are very few and far between, but she was saved somehow. I suppose she must have taken poison. Um, But then she recovered very quickly. Once she got over that, then she returned to the uh, Land League offices and continued to do the, the last sort of winding up. Then your songs
5: fell silent And your people grieved and mourned Who would give them hope now To face another dawn In your songs your voice could still be heard As you counselled hold your own And your memory is honoured now Where your name is set in stone And your memory is
0: honoured now Where your name is set in stone I feel it's the final link in her chain like you know and hopefully it'll be there for hundreds and hundreds of years.
2: Fanny was uh, just about six weeks short for her 34th birthday and uh, somebody referred to her earlier that maybe she hadn't got the opportunity to grow up just yet and she was competing in a man's world and trying to compete with her brother and uh, looking for her own recognition.
7: The sublimest epitaph written for her came from Francis Sheehy Skeffington, a kindred spirit. He wrote that she was the noblest and purest minded patriot of the Parnell family and had not her fiery soul fretted the pygmy body to decay and brought her to an early and untimely death, her genius might have won for her a place beside the maid of Orleans and among the liberating heroines of history.
1: Mount Arbonne is one of the uh, nicest private cemeteries in the country. It's really more of a park than what you might imagine is a cemetery. There are hills, there, there are exotic trees. People come here to have lunch on sunny, warm spring days and things like that, and they're welcome to.
6: You know, the, the Parnell Summer School and the Parnell Society is in... Has a matchless track record for educational work in encouraging lecturers and encouraging history from the humble local historian like myself to you know some very high flying academics and the whole spectrum of life in the 19th century has been turned over and revitalized and looked at anew and the summer school has done great things but you know tangible physical things are also required of a society and it's incumbent upon them to do things like to me, you know, one of the lasting and enduring things is that stone being brought over here to, to Mount Auburn Cemetery. And When we were all dead and gone and, and all our, our grandchildren are dead and gone, ho- that stone hopefully will still be there and telling a story.
9: Right, so the story of the actual piece of stones it was we did get permission from for to go and search through Avondale to find, could we find somewhere, was there a stone, would there have been a stone of any size? Uh, a lot of big stones down by the river, and uh, we turned over maybe 20 stones and uh, eventually it was agreed that this stone was the one that was going to end up in Mount Arbour uh, a friend of mine he had a brother in shipping and he, his, brother, his uh, brother agreed that yes he'd ship it over here for a particular fee he transported it from Gory to Dublin via whatever shipping lines or whatever was involved in it and uh, I got an email saying you know a rock is in the middle of the Atlantic and um, actually weighed 2 tonnes, 400 weights. It's approximately 5 foot high, 3 foot 6 in in width and about 2 foot 6 in depth. Uh, One of our worries was that it was going to disappear in the docks in in, uh, Boston because uh, these things, apparently where we don't have great value on a lump of granite at home, natural granite, but overseas the lump of Irish granite uh, would be very, very sought after but thanks be to God, uh, everything worked out great in the end.
6: Billy Redmond, who's who was a very, very good sculptor and worked a great deal doing granite stones for various monuments of 1798 around Wexford. He carved it and cut it. It has to stand the test of time when we're not there to maintain it. So he, he done an excellent job. And we wanted it in not to slavishly follow the glass Glasnevin monolith that, that is over Parnell himself, but uh, in keeping somewhat with it. So granite, deep cuts and the name prominently displayed with very little else is what was required. If
7: we feel the whisper of a gentle breeze passing through the assembled ranks, we may be sure that it is a tall, handsome, bearded ghost, proudest of all here present, smiling approvingly that she whom he described as the cleverest and most beautiful woman in the family, is here honoured and her name set in stone. Her circumstances meant that she was laid to rest far away from Wicklow, but thanks to the initiative of this group, Wicklow, in a sense, has come to her here in Mount Auburn. I think it is a very fitting closing of that historic circle. I think her shade would be gratified not just by the monument, but also by the living monument represented by so many people here who are pledged to keep her memory evergreen. So with a great sense of privilege, it is now my great pleasure to unveil this monument to Fanny Parnell.
9: looks superb and like you can do many things in life and people can be involved in so many things in life but a simple little thing like what we've done I think it's gives a great feeling of being at a particular place in time a moment in your life. These things they pass and you maybe look back in years to come and say oh how did we ever do that but uh, while you're actually doing it you don't understand or appreciate the, the importance or the significance of it I think that the society and the people that undertook to do this we've done it purely and simply buried, we want to do it very quietly in time in time the stone will be there and people will research and, and so forth etc and they'll understand why it was there and what the significance of who's under it and it's nice to be part of a group or a collection of people from all different walks of life who very quietly have the same passion and the same kind of thoughts it's, it's rewarding to look around and see so many people here there is no particular singular gain for anybody. Nobody, nobody wants it or or, or, or or cares. We're just one unit remembering those people who worked for, so hard for us before we were ever taught of.
3: Like, I feel very strongly, and I've actually put it in my will, no matter where I die, I want to be buried in Ireland. I feel the direct opposite of Charles George Parnell. So, like, my feeling is I'm very sorry for Fanny, that she's not at home where she belongs, but having said that like uh, the whole experience here today, it, it's been very very moving, it, it was like today was the fulfilment of a dream
12: There is an element of restorative justice that Fanny and Anna Parnell have been written out of Irish history and they're now being written back in uh, at the time people weren't comfortable with the female voice and, I mean, that has remained the case right down to relatively close to her own time. But over the last quarter century, there has thankfully been a, a revolution in the writing of history. Uh, and I think there is a, a greater sensibility about significant sisters. And Anna and Fanny Parnell were certainly significant sisters.
3: She really did look ahead to a developed island. The republic we have today is, in fact, Something close to the realization of her dream, though I'm sure if she were alive she would have criticisms too.
11: I think in some ways the Parnell Society bringing this stone here to Mount Auburn is a beginning. It allows us, I work in interpretive programs at Mount Auburn Cemetery, we now have a tangible object to help our visitors appreciate the life of this woman who, in a sense, you know, she was born in ireland spent time in paris died in new jersey and is buried outside of boston massachusetts an international woman now we have something that we can show our visitors to remind them that she is buried here Uh, we tend to try to put names on our list that people are looking for our maps that we publish are meant to aid visitors. And we should probably consider whether or not that isn't a name that should appear on our map. I also have other maps we've made of Mount Auburn. Uh, Poets of Mount Auburn, we have to consider. She's a poet. She perhaps should be on our poets listing. I have a, a map of notable women, women who lived lives that made a difference. I think she should be on that map. And she has been on our mind we were aware she was buried here, but frankly, until the Parnell Society started this effort, I'm not sure that any of us appreciated her history. We did not know the story of her life.
3: Somebody said like putting up the stone was like marking the end of something. But it is and it isn't. This beautiful stone, is it's going to be a Mecca for Irish people and Irish Americans living here in Boston. It's going to be a place like when we go home, we're going to be telling people. I know it's the end, it's the completion. When somebody dies, there should be funeral service and you, eventually you put up a headstone. And that's been achieved now. A little bit late, but it's been achieved. But as I say, I really think it's the beginning now of something else.
0: Uh, it would be Fanny Parnell um, and the date she was born and the date she died um, and poet and patriot. I'd like to think that maybe she'd said to herself it was worth waiting for.